0: Hello, welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host Simon. i one of my writers, this case Ilza. Thank you, Ilza, has written me a script, Percy Fawcett in the Lost City of Z, or Z, if you're from across the pond. And uh, in this show, if you're new here, I've never read this before. We're gonna try and decode. I've heard of the Lost City of Z, or Z. I don't know how we, I'm gonna. I'm gonna alter you. Lost City of Z sounds weird, even though I'm British. Anyway, let's just dive into it, shall we? <laughs> Deep in the green and humid heart of the Mato Grosso, that's in Brazil, <laughs> good, I had no idea, in a valley, I, for some reason I was on Google Maps the other day, and so I just like messing around, or for some reason I was looking at Brazil, I was like, oh my god, one, Brazil is massive, two, there's a lot of forest in Brazil, rainforest, it's the Amazon rainforest, right, there's a lot, it's very foresty, In a valley 10 miles wide, surrounded by lofty mountains, lies the ruin of a city. Ancient, more ancient than the oldest discoveries in Egypt, you approach the monolithic ruins on a stone-paved road. The houses are low and windowless, and in the center is a pyramid-shaped temple. Inscriptions reveal writing based on an alphabet similar to ancient European and Asian scripts, a sure sign of great civilization. The native peoples avoid it and tell tales of strange lights within the buildings that fill them with terror. If you are brave enough to face the dangers of the jungle. You might find it. The lost city of Z. Well, not entirely lost. There are still people living in the city. They have domesticated animals and mines in the surrounding hills. <laughs> the first time I read that, I was like, wait, how are they domesticating mines? But then I realized, obviously, they're two distinct things because I had a tiny brain. <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. Not far away is another town, and further south, another large city destroyed, buried in the jungles. It sounds a bit far fetched to us today, but if this was 1925 and your name was Sir Percy Fawcett, not only do you believe in this tale with every fibre of your being, you're about to embark on a journey into the green hell that is the unmapped Amazon. Yeah, it is the Amazon. Big brain Simon. <laughs> to find this city and prove once and for all that an advanced civilization once lived, or still lives, in the Amazon jungle. Unfortunately for you, but fortunately for unsolved mystery script writers of the future, you will not return, leaving us with a double mystery to solve what happened to Sir Percy Fawcett after he disappeared into the jungle. Did he find his lost city and prove all his beliefs true? Or is the lost city of Zed, much like El Dorado, nothing more than a fever dream that will end up costing a lot of people their lives? (laughs) My guess is, my guess is, it's not real. And Percy Fawcett died of, like, cholera or something because he was in the jungle. And he's Sir Percy Fawcett. Sir Percy sounds like the least equipped person to go into the jungle that I've ever heard of. His name is Percy and he's a knight. Like, he's (laughs) Who was Percy Fawcett? Percival. Harrison Fawcett was born in 1867 in Torquay, county of Devon in England. While he's mostly remembered for disappearing into the Amazon jungle, Fawcett had a rather interesting life. In 1886, at the age of 19, he joined the Royal Artillery Corps and was sent to Trincomalee in Ceylon, today Sri Lanka, where he met his future wife Nina. I have been to Trincomalee. It's a tiny town on the northeast coast of Sri Lanka. After some shenanigans and drama that would be right at home in Downton Abbey, the two finally got married and had three children, Jack, Brian, and a daughter, Joan. According to one source, Fawcett spent what little free time a military man stationed in Ceylon had exploring the islands, looking for ancient ruins, and recording mysterious inscriptions. I'm not sure how true this is, but Fawcett had a desire for adventure, so this wouldn't surprise me in the least. In 1901, Fawcett joins the Royal Geographical Society with the intention of studying, surveying, and cartography, and this is where his life starts getting interesting. At the time, it was common practice for the Secret Service to recruit members from the Royal Geographical Society. The Society was keen to map the entire world, so surveyors and cartographers traveled all over the place. It was the perfect cover, and in 1901, Fawcett found himself working for the British Secret Service in Morocco. However, it wasn't the deserts of Morocco that would steal the explorer's heart. That honor belonged to the jungles of South America. Oh my god, this guy's well-traveled. Like, he's well-traveled for, like, TODAY. 1901 well-traveled? Yeah, he's been everywhere. In 1906, Fawcett finally got the chance to indulge in his fantasies of exploration when he was sent to Brazil in order to map the jungle region on the border of Bolivia and Brazil. I take it all back, Sir Percy sounds like exactly the sort of person who'd be extremely competent at this. He's been in the military, he's traveled all over the world, I just got thrown off by the fact that he's called Sir Percy. Sir Percival. (laughs) The society had been hired by an independent third party to map the area and settle some border disputes. Percy fell in love with the jungle, and between 1906 and 1924 he would go on seven expeditions. In the movie The City of Lost Zed, Fawcett is depicted as a bit of a champion for the native peoples of the Amazon. He goes in front of the Royal geographical society trying to convince them that an advanced civilization once thrived in the Amazon jungle. Fawcett certainly had more respect for the native people of the Amazon. He was even accused of going native for painting his face with bright colors using berries like native warriors. However, he didn't consider the native people as equals. He was ahead of his time, this being the early 1900s, but he still believed in the superiority of the white man. (laughs) Bizarre, like, in the past, it's like, oh, no, 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 I'm a champion for the native people, because they're lesser than us. (laughs) That was the enlightened view. the past, everybody. It was the worst. According to John Hemming in his books on the history of the Amazon, Fawcett's theories are nothing more than eugenic gibberish. In my opinion, that's a bit harsh. I doubt it would have survived seven expeditions into the jungle if he completely disrespected the local people. Unfortunately, he does make some claims about white Indians that border on the master race theories Blavatsky style, but we'll get into that in a little bit. In 1914, Fawcett returned to England to serve his country in World War One. He served with distinction, spending three years in the hell of the trenches, including the Somme, and was awarded the Distinguished Order of Valor. In 1900s, this is I I think I made a video once that the trenches arguably, the worst place to have been alive in history. And, yeah, yeah, I'm glad it's not World War (laughs) One, And I'm not serving in the trenches. (laughs) Oh my god, like, I'm just... Sometimes I just find myself randomly grateful for shit. I'm just like, man, it's really good there's not, like, war. And I haven't been killed. Or I wasn't killed, like, in my 20s, fighting in a war for no reason whatsoever. Just, especially World War One, it's just so fucking pointless. And... Yeah, and I'm just like, that's cool. Isn't life nice? <laughs> it makes you think, oh yeah, all my problems that I think I have, they're not really problems. Like, a problem would be being in a trench with, like, trench foot and all my dead mates around me and some, like, commander being like, oh, we're going to go over the top, boys. And you're like, oh god, are you going over the top, sir? Oh, no, 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 I'm back here at camp. <laughs> you're going to go over the top and kill the Germans. <laughs> Why? 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 <laughs> In 1919, he returned to Devon, and like most men he served, he probably came back traumatized. Apparently, when asked about cannibalism, he replied that at least it provides a reasonable motive for killing a man, which is more than you can say for civilized warfare i'm no psychologist but that sounds like trauma to me yes dude it does <laughs> holy shit spiritualism as a movement has been around since the 1850s and depending on the source source was either only mildly interested in his younger years or he was already attending seances but most seem to agree that his interest in spiritualism increased after the war because well trauma will do that despite what you might think of his beliefs force it was one of the last old-school adventurers david gunn sums it up nicely in his book when he says Fawcett ventured into the blank spots on the map with little more than a machete, a compass, and an almost divine sense of purpose. He seemed impervious to disease, and colleagues and fellow explorers considered him an imposing figure and the model of physical efficiency. He was willing to travel lighter and fare harder than most people would consider possible. In his time, he became a bit of a celebrity and counted Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and H.R. Haggard, the writer of King Solomon's Mines, among his friends. He was awarded the Royal Geographical Society's Founder's Gold Medal in 1916, and his article Bolivian Exploration was published in the March 1915 edition of the Geographical Journal. If it wasn't for his obsession with finding the lost city of Zed, probably could have lived to an old age enjoying his fame and celebrity surrounded by friends and family <laughs> yeah that sounds really nice <laughs> it'd be like if someone was like hey simon hey simon do you want to go on an expedition to the amazon jungle where you could be like get color and die but maybe there's some big city out there that will make you more famous i would be like no <laughs> no i'm already pretty comfortable thank you i like my life <laughs> i don't want to go to the amazon jungle Fawcett's lost city in may 1906 force it set sail for the great americas but and by june he found himself in la paz bolivia it was the first of many expeditions into uncharted and unexplored rainforests other than dangers of the jungle such as hungry animals creepy crawlies more insects than you could possibly imagine and poison darts from unfriendly natives force often encountered dangerous working towns fueled by the booming rubber industry with poor working conditions and desperate men a volatile combination yeah i've been not into this i don't like bugs like i have a house in the countryside i went there last weekend with my family we get back from a walk in the forest and i've got like four ticks and i'm like oh for fuck's sake i hate these little bastards and then you're pulling them out of your body and you're worried that they've given you t- tick-borne and cephalitis. And that your brain's going to go to shit and you're like, I don't like it. (laughs) But I do love being out in nature. I just don't like all the bugs. Especially this time of year. It's just the end of spring coming into summer and it's like, oh, so many bugs. So many bugs. Initially, his mission was making maps, but it soon evolved into something more. Early on, Fawcett had some ideas about a lost city hidden in the jungles of Brazil. While El Dorado had been relegated to the realms of myth for the learned folk, the dream of lost cities in the jungles of South America never really died. The discovery of Machu Picchu in Peru in 1911 further bolstered Fawcett's dreams of finding a lost city in Brazil, as it would! Because the discovery of Machu Picchu is the sort of thing I'd make fun of, (laughs) and then it actually happens. You're like, yeah, 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 sure. Sure, there's a magical city hidden in the mountains that no one's ever seen. A big city. Sure, sure. Hey, Simon, have you heard of Machu Picchu? It's like, oh my god, okay. (laughs) I guess it is possible. Like, I don't want to shit all over it, because it's like, yeah, Machu Picchu happens. I mean, now it's like 2023, and I think we're pretty unlikely to discover, like, stuff like this. Especially now, aren't they doing those LiDAR scans of the jungle where they're finding stuff in there? Like scanning through the trees, through the canopy and stuff, or like buildings. I mean, we're discovering some pretty cool shit, right? By 1914, Fawcett had formed a fairly detailed picture of, of what his supposed lost city was like and where to find it. He simply called it Z. Fawcett believed that a complex civilization once thrived somewhere in the Mato Grosso region of Brazil, and the isolated ruins of a large city possibly still survived. Initially, Fawcett's search for the city was based on scientific observation and deduction. While exploring the jungles, he noticed straight lines in the topography he was mapping, which he deduced were the remains of roads. Any years later, it turned out that these deductions were, in fact, Correct! He also found pottery shards in earthen mounds on a floodplain. In the movie, Fawcett uses these shards to argue that the Amazon jungle was hiding the ruins of an ancient civilization. However, in Exploration Fawcett, published by his son Brian in 1953 and based of Fawcett's memoirs, he wasn't all that impressed with the pottery. The archaeologists today are far more excited about these pottery shards than Fawcett was. In Fawcett's defense, he was a military man and a cartographer, not an archaeologist. Fawcett was also very impressed with how well the native tribes and adapted to life in the jungles and how organized their societies were. <laughs> it's like they couldn't possibly have come up with that on their own. <laughs> there must be some sort of advanced civilization for these primitives to have based this on. Because <laughs> they're primitives. <laughs> some sources claim that he also formed he also found petroglyphs and remains of ancient engineering, or whatever that means. It sounds <laughs> ancient engineering, just whenever I hear that, I'm like, of course there was ancient engineering, but it just sounds like a history channel show, doesn't it? whatever that means but i couldn't find any specific examples however i reckon pottery and roads were enough of an indication that he was on the right track if only he had stuck with the science as it turns out fawcett might have been a bit of a creative writer in his spare time in some of his reports of the royal geographical society definitely not people you should be writing creative fiction to <laughs> as well as his memoirs that appear as they appear in exploration faucet fawcett tells wonderful tales of his adventures and all the amazing things he saw while exploring the jungles these marvels include anacondas measuring up to 60 feet birds able to peek through stone after plucking a special leaf the tracks of an enormous beast living in the madidi swamps of the Beni in bolivia and he believed these tracks to be a diplodocus and also human-like hairy beasts <laughs> human beasts are like monkeys <laughs> or gorillas what's the one that kind of what's that what's our closest relative it's not the monkey is it? Is a gorilla or chimps or something like that <laughs> this doesn't do much to boost his credibility but at least he didn't lack imagination of course if this is true i apologize to all the 60 feet anacondas and human-like hairy beasts possibly watching this video in all fairness it should be noted that some of the creatures he described have since been confirmed by science such as the double-nosed andean tiger hound, a dog with two noses holy shit but i digress while he was a very good cartographer some of his adventures read a bit too much like fiction and that called some of his more scientific observations into question as well and to make matters. matters As worse, there were the rumors. (laughs) Hold on, why have he actually saw a 60-foot anaconda? I I don't know if that's actually at all possible. Or maybe he saw like a 40-foot anaconda and was like, oh my god, that's a 60-foot anaconda in like fear or whatever. But I mean, so he thought something was like some old thing. He thought birds were able to peck through stones. Maybe he just saw them pecking through like something that looked like stones. These don't sound like crazy lies. It's not us or the Loch Ness Monster, didn't I? It's like, okay, maybe, I don't know, maybe he just is misinterpreting things. It doesn't sound like outright creative writing. One of Fawcett's reports, the Royal Geographical Society in 1910 stated that he had met half a dozen men who swore to have seen white Indians with red hair and blue eyes. This further bolstered Fawcett's belief that hidden in the jungle were the ruins of a lost city, formerly the home of what he called a robust and fair people, a proto-Indian race which must have a civilized origin. <laughs> he describes them as a superior race, his words, not mine. When <laughs> and when a native Amazonian told Fawcett that his ancestors built the cities, Fawcett it wrote this i am inclined to doubt for he like the mehenaku indians is of the brown or polynesian type and it is the fair or red type i associate with the cities And there's our early 1900s racism, everybody! Fawcett also tells of a meeting with a man selling six metal figures reminiscent of ancient Egypt. Unfortunately, the man refused to tell Fawcett where the objects came from. Then Fawcett received a most marvelous gift from H. R. Haggard himself, a mysterious black basalt idol in the shape of a human male with a strange inscription. Haggard claimed that the idol came from Brazil, most likely, from one of the oh-so-many lost cities. Fawcett took the idol to the British Museum, but no one there could decipher the inscription or tell him anything about this mysterious idol or where it came from. Fawcett, a believer in spiritualism, took the only scientific option left him. He visited a psychic. It's not a scientific option. <laughs> it's just take it to someone who's going to make some shit right up. The psychic apparently had more archaeological knowledge than all of those trained idiots at the museum. <laughs> Those clowns educate with their diplomas, thinking they're so smart, (laughs) they can't talk to the dead. After holding the idol in a dark room, the psychic claimed to see a large continent between Africa and South America long before the rise of Egypt. There were elaborate temples, carved ornaments, and a procession of what could have been priests then disaster struck violent volcanic eruptions flaming lava mighty earthquakes the sea levels rose and parts of the continent sank into the sea i'm guessing the idol was saved by a very dedicated priest who happened to be a hell of a swimmer and if you're now thinking atlantis well you're not the only one force it now believed that his lost city of zed was related to atlantis Now, before we continue down that rabbit hole, I should point out that the idol that started this all today is considered to be a fake. Whether Haggard was playing a practical joke on his friend that got out of hand, or whether someone had taken Haddo for a ride, is unclear. You know what is clear? The psychic was making up some bullshit. It's like, no, 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 I bought it at Poundland, didn't I? Got that shit at. What's American Poundland? Got that shit at Dollar Tree! Picked it up for a dollar! Dollar Tree, right? We have Poundland. (laughs) At least we did when I was a kid. The shit you get for a pound was quite surprising. Like, they'd have a lot. You'd go go in there and, like, get lots of chocolate. I remember as a kid for a pound. It was a bit of a bargain. Even some toys. And then I think inflation kicked in and they had stuff that was more than a pound. Which was confusing. What's it going to be today? Like, three-pound (laughs) clams? Ah, hilarious. Or maybe just the stuff got shitter. And this all brings us back to madame blavatsky the theosophical society and their nonsense about a superior master race that lived in atlantis Fawcett was now convinced that the city of zed was more ancient than he initially thought it was older than egypt itself he also believed that there was a connection between atlantis and parts of brazil while serving in world war one the lost city became more of an undisturbed u- utopia hidden in the jungles the civilized world that Fawcett had served in the military was falling to pieces. it force like so many others started searching for a civilized world that made more sense than on he was living in yeah i mean not hard in world war one that was insane unlike those searching for el dorado whose only interest was wealth Fawcett wanted to find the stores of knowledge that he believed were hidden in the city of zed the theosophical society believed that the teachings of atlantis were stored in record houses called white lodges force believed that zed far from being just another lost city was the last outpost of the refugees from atlantis And one such White Lodge, like many spiritualists, Fawcett shows a level of frustration with science and academic experts who didn't share his belief in the existence of Zed and all the knowledge stored there, just waiting to be found. Yeah, 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 because historians and scientists, like, they believe in objective things. They're like, yeah, sure, okay, sure, Percy. Sure, as soon as you find something that backs that up, we'll take a look at it. Until then, it's just made up in your head, isn't it, Percy? Isn't it? You got it from a spiritual medium who told you that this was true from something that was bought at Poundland, Percy. Fawcett's claim of an ancient civilization was further bolstered by his discovery of what is today known as Manuscript 512, believed to have been written by joao de silva Guimarães, a portuguese fortune hunter around 1753 the documents can be found at the national library of rio de janeiro joao de silva Guimarães claimed to have discovered the ruins of an ancient city back in 1753 the writer describes arches of a great height a square plaza with an extraordinary large pillar and spires in the roman style in each corner they came upon a statue of a young man carved in stone naked from the waist up with a crown lo- crown of laurel on his head possibly carrying a shield the english translation is a bit vague on this and i don't read portuguese on the left side of this plaza is a temple which crosses in various with crosses in various styles the ruins described by these early explorers are massive they discovered something that resembled a manor house a cannon shot distance from the city, and it appears that they were seeing signs of civilization for three days as they walked. Of course, we have no idea how fast they were walking, but suffice to say, if these guys are to be believed, they found themselves a little grease in the jungle of Brazil. I'm a little skeptical about this, and since our early explorers conveniently forgot to say where they found this amazing little grease, we can't go and look for ourselves. Of course, it didn't believe this to be the lost city of Zed, but decided to find it once he found Zed. Fawcett's belief in lost civilization in the Amazon didn't sit well with his peers and he faced a lot of ridicule for his belief. At the time, <laughs> they're like, Percy! We need proof, Percy! You call yourself a cartographer? A member of the Royal... Would you put a place on a map, Percy, without having seen it? Would you believe it to be there, Percy? You're a cartographer or not, Percy? At the time, Europe was on a civilizing mission in South America. If it was true that a thriving advanced civilization once existed, it would prove European involvement and colonization unnecessary. <laughs> And the powers that be, who were very interested in the natural resources such as rubber and gold, didn't like that idea very much. So in 1925, Fawcett set off on his final quest to his beloved city of Zed to prove himself right once and for all. Uh oh. Into the jungle, never to be seen again. In 1925, with funding from a London-based group of financiers known as The Glove which sounds like a James Bond villain organisation if I ever heard one, Fawcett and his party, consisting of his son Jack and his best friend Rally Rimmel, set off on the final ill-fated expedition to find Zed. In the early 1920s Fawcett had made two attempts, but both expeditions ran afoul of disease and exhaustion and returned empty-handed, so he was determined not to fail again. Fawcett had scouted the area that he was heading to in 1920, but the region uh, was still unmapped. The party of three arrived in the Brazilian frontier town of Cuiaba, the capital of Mato Grosso, on around the 3rd of March, 1925. Here, they collected provisions, animals, and two Brazilian porters. On April the 20th, 1925, the expedition, now including two Brazilian laborers, two horses, eight mules, and a pair of dogs, Pastor and Chulim, departed from Cuiaba. <laughs> I like that the dogs get names. It's like we know the names of the dogs, we have the Brazilian locals. They're <laughs> not in the historical record, please. Look at these beautiful dogs. <laughs> Fawcett considered dogs ideal travelling companions, especially the hunting and retrieving kinds around (laughs) is like, Yeah, these dogs are the best. Hey, Brazil man, where are we going? (laughs) I don't know. Ask the fucking dogs, Percy. Ask the dogs. Around four weeks later, they arrived at the last European settlement on the route, Bakari Post a Trading Depot. They rested and sent some letters home. Jack's letters were optimistic and perhaps naive. He was on a big adventure with his dad, and it appears that the young man didn't quite realize the dangers they would be facing. While at the trading post, Fawcett also talked with the local chief, who corroborated tales of old cities in the region. They left Bakari on the 20th of May. The expedition sent their last letters from Dead Horse Camp on the 29th of May, 1925. In his letter, perhaps a bit ominously, Fawcett refers to the white bones of his horse, the one he had to shoot on this very spot in 1920, and the origin for the name of the camp. I suppose we can be thankful that he never requested to name anything else. He mentions that it gets very cold at night and the insects and heat only struck at midday. The letter ends with, you need have no fear of any failure. It would be the last thing anyone ever heard of the Fawcett party. The letter was carried back to the Bakari outpost by the native porters who refused to continue into another tribe's territory. Fawcett included the coordinates of Dead Horse Camp in his letter, however, these coordinates didn't match to previously recorded coordinates for the location of this camp. It's unlikely that Fawcett, a cartographer and experienced explorer, would make this kind of mistake. Some believe he did it to discourage rescue e- rescue efforts should he not return. Why would you want to discourage rescue efforts? <laughs> this would be Fawcett's eighth trip into the jungle, so he came prepared as the body carried canned food, powdered milk, guns, flares, a sextant, and a chronometer. Fawcett also chose his travel companions with care. Both the son and Rimmel were young, healthy, and most importantly, loyal. Fawcett decided to travel light and with a smaller group, partly because of his concern about a rival claiming his city, and partly to move faster and be less noticeable to native tribes. Many of the local tribes were still, understandably, hostile to Europeans. Fawcett described his two companions as strong as horses and keen as mustard. keen as mustard (laughs) that's a phrase i've never heard before but could not sound more like old school british if it tried while they might have had the necessary enthusiasm and youth for the journey ahead they were inexperienced in the ways of the jungle which according to some sources might have been fatal as for Fawcett, he was fit and healthy but he was already 57 when he left on his final expedition and while his last letter was optimistic there are some suggestions that Fawcett himself realized that he might not be in the best possible condition for such a grueling expedition Fawcett left very clear instructions stating that he didn't want anyone to come looking for them. Okay, let's find out why. Is this because he thinks people will die? Like, he's like, yo, if I go into the jungle and I don't come back, sending people into the jungle after me is only going to make things worse. It's probably what he's thinking, right? He figured that if something happened to him, others who had less experience in the jungle would have no chance and most likely would get themselves into trouble. Okay, there we go. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry, my best friend and son. No one's coming to rescue us. (laughs) My best friend and son. However, human beings are incapable of following good advice, so a great many people, when looking for the Fawcett party over the years, many of those people died or disappeared in the jungles themselves, never to be seen again. Current estimates are about 100 people total or died. So Fawcett was definitely onto something, he just did do a good enough job. <laughs> Don't come looking for me! Oh Percy, you would say that. Let's go find you! And then 100 people die, and no one finds him. And you know, what really would just be his bones at that point, right? And the bones of his son. And his best friends. <laughs> Fawcett expected the expedition to take a couple of months at the minimum, uh, but up to a year or even more. However, when there was still no word by nineteen twenty seven, people started to get worried, and searches for the lost trio commenced. The first of many set off in either late 1927 or 1928, sources can't seem to agree on this, under the leadership of Commander George M. Deut. The search party followed Fawcett's trail to a village of the Naukwa tribe, where they discovered a small brass plate marked with W.S. Silver & Company, a London firm that supplied Fawcett with some airtight metal cases. While this initially was cause for celebration, it later turned out that the cases had belonged to an earlier expedition and was most likely a gift to the local tribes. According to Dart's report, the Fawcett party traveled to the Upper Killeen River, the territory of the Kalapalo tribe. They were going slowly because one of the younger men, possibly Rimmel, was lame and exhausted. The Kalapalo claimed that the party left, and they saw smoke from the party's campfires for five days, but there was no smoke on the sixth day, so they assumed the party had been killed. (laughs) Dyer believed the Nehukwa to be the killers, but the Kalapalo claimed it was a fierce group known as the Suya diet also stated that he met with alioki the chief of the ana and in my and in his opinion the person most likely responsible for the deaths of the forced expedition okay what mystery solved isn't it <laughs> they were killed by tribes done boom done and dusted does it matter which tribe no it seems that everyone's like yeah tribe did it Tribe killed them mystery solved right in 1931 the pen museum sent their own expedition into the Mato grosso region why he was killed by tribes the expedition had no interest in finding the Fawcett party okay they just wanted to make a documentary however it is impossible to go to the Mato grosso and not run into the faucet mystery vincenzo Petrulo, the ethnologist of the expedition also met alioki while exploring further north towards the zingu river as it turns out these folk had seen Fawcett and his companions six years prior According to Petrullo, he inadvertently followed the same trail that Fawcett himself had taken and thus met the same native people who Fawcett ran into. Like the Dart expedition before him, he reached the Kalapalo village on the Kuluene River. Two of the villagers told him the story of three white men visiting their village a couple of years before. Since it was only their second meeting with the outsiders, the visit was memorable for the villagers. The men, the white men, arrived in Kalapalo village in the company of some Anuhukua tribesmen who had acted as guides from their own village on the Kalusu about four days away. The white men had packs and arms, but no gifts. The Kalapalo provided the party with food and tried to convince the men not to continue. The younger men were both ill and reluctant. But their leader, presumably Fawcett, insisted, so they ferried the men across the Kuluin River. From there, the story is the same as the version of events reported by diet For five days after their departure, the Kalapalo saw the smoke as the group lit campfires. However, on the sixth day, there was nothing. The tribe assumed the travelers had reached the forest to the east. Later traces of their camps were found, but the men themselves were never seen again. Patrullo believed that Forsyth and his party most likely died of hunger, dehydration, or disease, or perhaps all of the above, somewhere in the dense jungles to the east of the Kuluin River. Patrullo pointed out, quite logically, that white men were not exactly a common sight in the Amazon jungle, so if they had been seen alive, someone would most likely have known about it. However, in the 1950s, another version of events surfaced. According to Orlando, Vilas Boas, a Brazilian indigenous right activist who worked among the native tribes in the Amazon jungles of Brazil, he got the truth in 1951 straight from one of Fawcett's killers, a member of the Calapalo tribe according to villas boyas three things happened firstly jack urinated in the river upstream from the village this is uh, where the tribe's drinking water came from and it was considered considered an affront to the tribe secondly one of the party members shot an animal and brought it to the village among the Kalapalo, food is shared but when one villager approached to cut some meat he was pushed away however the biggest insult was when one of the party members struck a child playing with their gear The tribe allowed the party to leave the next morning and killed them after they travelled some distance away from the village. (laughs) Oh my god, it's like, you better leave. And you're like, okay, we'll leave, sorry. And then they're like, and then we'll go into the jungle and kill you. (laughs) Oh my god. Don't strike people's children. (laughs) There's a lesson there, isn't there? In the 1960s, Danish explorer Arn Folk Ron traveled to the Grosso region looking for the explorer, and in 1991 he wrote a book about what he learned from Orlando Viers-Boyas. In his book, Viers-Boyas said that Fawcett and his companions had a mishap on the river and lost most of the gifts they'd brought along for the native tribes they'd meet along the way. Arriving without gifts would have been a breach of protocol, and by this time most members of the expedition, two out of three, were seriously ill, which made them a danger to the tribe. Once again, the story ends with the death of the three men. Jack Fawcett and Rally Rimmel were thrown into the river, but Colonel Fawcett was given a proper burial since he was an old man and therefore distinguished. In yet another version of the events, also from V.S. Boyes, the men were killed after Jack Fawcett either raped or seduced one of the chieftain's wives. Percy Fawcett then demanded porters and crews and slapped the chieftain when he refused. However, based on what we know about Fawcett, and his son for that matter, this is completely out of character. If Fawcett had behaved this way on earlier expeditions, he would have been killed very early on. Yeah, that doesn't seem very likely. It doesn't seem like... that's not what he was about it seems he was like just looking for yeah just just sound made up Orlando Vespoias claimed to have found Forsit's remains after the tribe told him where to dig. Apparently, he had asked what the tribe had done with the bodies, but the person he talked to couldn't remember, only that the bodies had been buried. Eventually, another tribe member told Vespoias where to dig, and that's when he found the remains of one person. He claimed that the remains he found were wearing European clothes, but I've been unable to verify that. He wasn't sure whether the bones were Fawcett specifically, but he was confident that the bones belonged to at least one member of the Forsit party. Of course, this was well before DNA became a thing. He sent some of the to England for examination, but was informed that they couldn't have been forced it due to the length of the tibia not corresponding to force its height, and the bones were returned to him. Apparently the remains are currently in the Forensic Medicine Institute of the University of Sao Paulo. Vias Boyas wasn't convinced by the findings of the forensic anthropologist in the UK because he believed the British had a bit of hero worship of Fawcett, and let's be honest, he was not wrong. Vias felt the British public wouldn't like to admit their hero was killed for disrespecting the locals. As for the bones, according to anthropologist Benedict Allen, who undertook a one-man expedition to find out what happened to Fawcett in 1998, the skeleton found by Vias had in fact been that of the chief's grandfather. Now, before we start blaming V.S. Boyas for spreading false rumors, it's important to note that he was genuinely concerned about the Amazon's natives' rights and worked his entire life to protect those rights. He also received several awards and was even nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Holy shit. However, V.S. Boyas was most likely biased in favor of the tribe and his friends within the tribe, and if they had indeed killed Fawcett, he would have been more likely to believe a story where Fawcett is painted as a typical colonial abuser. Of course, it's equally possible that the story V.S. Boyas was told was partially or wholly fabricated by whoever told it to him. The fact that there are so many different stories coming from this one tribe makes me wonder if perhaps even the tribe themselves aren't quite sure what happened. The was probably also more invested in painting European encounters with natives in a negative and destructive light, while painting the native tribes as unaggressive and innocent, simply protecting themselves, which probably isn't entirely accurate either. It does make him a somewhat unreliable narrator, but could there be some truth to the tale? Fawcett was an experienced explorer, and he would have known that being disrespectful could get you killed. While every tribe certainly had their own little customs, Fawcett had survived his encounters with native tribes for seven prior expeditions, so he was probably adept at quickly picking up what was completely unacceptable. His travel companions, however, were not as experienced. Fawcett most certainly gave them a good rundown of what to expect in the jungle and how to behave, but the younger men were sick, so probably not thinking clearly, and Fawcett was perhaps either sick himself or simply not able to supervise the younger men 24-7. He was looking for a lost city, so he was most likely talking to chiefs and scouts and hunters trying to plot his next move. However, even if you take all of these factors into consideration, I find it unlikely that any member of the party would have made a blunder big enough to get them all killed. There is simply no physical proof of what happened either way, so we'll never know. Yeah, okay. I'm like, they either, like, just died (laughs) because they're in the jungle, they're all sick. Like, they could have had some terrible disease, or they were killed by tribes. That's it. It's like two options. Both depressing. They're not still out there. It was 100 years ago. There have been many sightings over the years. In 1932, a Swiss trapper, Stephen Rattin, claimed to have seen Fawcett wearing animal skins and being held captive by local natives. According to Rattin, he had met a white man with a long beard held captive while travelling along the Rio Arenos River. According to some versions of events, the man gave Rattin his signet ring, and Fawcett's wife, Nina, recognized the description of the signet ring. However, the sighting took place hundreds of miles away from where the party disappeared. One of the many explorers of the jungle also pointed out that the natives don't wear animal skins, it's simply too hot. For the most part, the native people would go around naked. In the 1950s, a tale of Fawcett's shrunken head spotted in a village in the Upper Zingu did the rounds. However, it's generally accepted that the shrunken head is just a piece of deeply disturbing fiction. In 1979, a gold signet ring belonging to Fawcett was discovered in the back room of a shop in Kiaba. It was engraved with the family motto, Neck Aspera Terent, hardships hold no fear. One theory suggests that the party had been mugged and then killed by soldiers who were hiding in the jungles after a revolution. Latin America had several revolutions in the 1900s, but the only one I'm aware of in 1925 was a revolution in Ecuador, which was on the other side of the continent. In 1910, there was a revolution in Mexico, but that's even further away. A far likely more a far more likely explanation, in my humble opinion, is that Fawcett used the ring as a gift or to barter for supplies. The ring eventually made it to Kiaba, possibly in the possession of hobbits, because, as we all know, rings tend to. Travel. Ah, it's a Lord of the Rings joke that I sort of get. I I don't. I I saw the first Lord of the Rings movie, never read the books, don't really like it. Then we have the more fantastical theories. One theory states that Fawcett remained in the jungle voluntarily to become the chief of a tribe of cannibals. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, fantastical. Another theory claims that Fawcett, he seems like went in the jungle, it's like, I oh, got the taste for flesh. Another theory claims that Fawcett had hoped to set up a community in the jungle that would be based on the tenets of theosophy and worship of his son, Jack. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. This is more ridiculous than the shrunken head thing. In fact, quite a few of associates had planned to go and join it presumably after he established this commune to live a new free life. <laughs> apparently, much of the mystery surrounding the disappearance of Forset is his family trying to protect their father's reputation. One psychic claimed to have had contact with Fawcett until 1948, when he reported his own death. Forset's wife Nina apparently also claimed to have been on the receiving end of telepathic messages. <laughs> no, none of these people were because they're not real a medium asked to analyze the colonel's scarf and had a more gruesome tale in a trance the medium saw Forsett and his companions murdered and dumped in a lake we'll take that seriously fanciful tales aside we'll never know what happened to the Forsett party it's unlikely the jungle is going to give up those secrets anytime soon who knows perhaps Forsett found his beloved zed and decided to remain there for the rest of his life please did we decode the mysteries i believe Percy Fawcett and his young companions died in the jungles of the Mata Grosso region in 1925. What exactly killed them will remain a mystery. I agree 100% Ilza. One of the party was getting older, two were inexperienced and already sick and exhausted, and they were going into unexplored territory. They could have been killed by hostile natives, or they could have died of malnutrition, disease, or dehydration. Personally, I don't believe the Kalapalo tribe killed them. If they died at the hands of Kalapalo natives, it was most likely individuals acting alone and not the decision of the tribe. As for the lost city of Zed that it went looking for, that might not be a myth. The ruins described in manuscript 512 and and Fawcett's vision of zed most definitely never existed however several sites theorized to be the ruins of great settlements have been discovered in the amazon jungle suggesting that ancient civilizations in the jungle are not that far-fetched one of these kuakugu might be the very settlement that Fawcett it went looking for in fact he might even have found it unfortunately he probably walked right through it without recognizing the site for what it was after all Fawcett was looking for the stone ruins of an atlantean type civilization Conclusion Today, Fawcett's probably best known for the obsession that eventually cost him his life, but before all of that, he was a cartographer, a good one, who showed more respect for local people and cultures than was common for the era. Some theorize that Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World and even the character of Indiana Jones are based on Percy Fawcett. Was he a British hero or a colonial oppressor? Well, that depends on your perspective. Either way, he was an interesting figure. As for his beloved City of Zed, it's unlikely that he ever found it in life, but the writer in me hopes that he found it in death. What a nice ending, Ilza. And this has been an episode of Decoding the Unknown, relatively short one today. Thank you for being here. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave it a review. If you're watching on YouTube, hello, like, and subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old.